his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. Well, we're getting very, very close to a Friday. It is, um, it's not federal law yet, but it is Missouri state law. You have to listen to the Reardon Roundtable, 3 o'clock tomorrow. There's fines involved if you don't do that. Jane will be here. State Rep Donna Berenger, Mike Elam from the St. Charles County Council. Of course, we have Kusumano. Tarasenko was traded today from the Blues. He'll have more on that. Paul Hall on entertainment. We're going to do a little uh, preview of the Super Bowl. And Matt Pauly's going to spring training from the uh, Cardinals Radio Network this weekend. So we'll cover all of that and more tomorrow on the show. We have the Speaker of the Missouri House, Dean Plocker, coming up from De Pere in the uh, segment that's coming up a little bit later at 525. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, she might be my favorite reformed liberal. Batya Unger Sargon is with us. She was on Gutfeld last I night. I have to say, I loved it. Um, I love that the second gentleman and the first lady got some action. Okay, yes, starting yes. with that. <laughs> I loved Kirsten Sinema's dress. I loved the heckling, and I loved the speech. I thought the speech was very Trumpy. I mean, he yeah. spent a lot of time focused on bringing manufacturing back to the United States. Why shouldn't the U.S. be number one in manufacturing? He spent a lot of time on fentanyl. He spent a lot of time talking about issues that were important to President Trump. Social Security. And when he veered off track, there was a lovely Greek chorus booing him and yelling, China, border, you know, to get him back on track. I thought it was great. Democracy. And Bacha, as, as big of a moment as that was being on Gutfeld, here you are on the Mark Reardon show back to back. It's kind of an amazing experience, isn't it? How are you this afternoon? <laughs> Listen, my people have a saying. We say you go up in holiness, you don't go down. So here I am with you, Mark. Thrilled to be here with you. Happy Thursday. <laughs> I love it. And thank you so much for coming back. We've had some great conversations over the last couple of years. How was the Gutfeld experience, though? It was great. It was great. It was my second time going on. It's a lot of fun. It's a great show. Everybody's super chill and relaxed, and you get to talk about the news in a different kind of a way and with a different vibe. It's, it's just a great experience. Well, the ratings on that show are just amazing. And, you know, most of the media just ignores Gutfeld, and they focus on Colbert and Fallon and, you know, the traditional late-night shows. But what he's been able to do and, and the ratings that they've been able to return late night on Fox is pretty incredible just from a media standpoint. Yeah, 100%. I mean, he's sort of blowing everybody else out of the water, the king of late night. I mean, his ratings, I think, are, you know, close to he can get up to two million, whereas, you know, the, the you know, Fallon and the Jimmies, they're, they're sort of hovering around 700K, yeah. I believe is the number. So, yeah, he's doing something right. Well, Batya is the deputy opinion editor of Newsweek. She's written a book called Bad News, How Woke Media is Undermining Democracy. I refer to you as a reformed liberal. Is that accurate or not? Semi-accurate, maybe? <laughs> You know, 
know, I'm like, a, I don't really know what to call myself anymore. I'm a common ground person. So I'm really always looking for ways to find common ground. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> well, no, and, and I, I like your perspectives on things. And I, you don't have to pigeonhole people. Look, I get called a, a rhino, even though I've kind of fought for conservative values my entire career. But if I, if I veer off the Trump train or something like that, right, ooh, I'm a rhino, which is utterly ridiculous. <laughs> but the, um, you know, the topics, and I, I know I follow you on Twitter, so I see some of the things that, that you're talking about. Let's kind of talk about the State of the Union. You, you are covering all bases, and I do love the fact for people who don't understand the reference at the beginning of the clip that I played, and I was unaware of this until about 24 hours ago, so I talked about the State of the Union yesterday, and then a listener sent me the clip of uh, Jill and the first gentleman um, making out, essentially. Botch. What the hell was that all about? For people who haven't seen it, it was a full-on lip kiss, wasn't it? Um, it was a lip kiss, but, you know, I think it's, um, you know, some people, that's how they greet each other. It could have been an accident. You know, I imagine they were both, like, very, yeah, you know, yeah. nervous. The whole country's watching, and, like, do you go in for which side and so forth? And I, it, I to me, it's, it's very likely that it was sort of an accident or, you know, uh, but, but it was really startling, and it sort of set the tone for the whole evening of, like, well, 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 <laughs> what have we here? Well, my Sue Thomas, who is one of my uh, cohorts here on the show, is not here today. But one of the things I said to her yesterday, and I was being very serious, and I don't even think she understood the serious nature of this, is I'm, as a man who has a lot of professional female friends, you, you know, when you go in for that greeting, it is awkward. I'm not, I don't like planting of the kiss and all that. I mean, a, a hug or an embrace, but it does get kind of weird sometimes. Yeah, I mean, a kiss is, is we're not the French, you know, a kiss is... <laughs> An act of eroticism. And but I have to say, I, I really feel like one well, of the things we that we don't talk also, about but... enough we should, as well, yes, um, is, is just how the Me Too movement has sh- shifted the power dynamic um, in awkward situations like that. Like, it used to be that, like, men pretty much would make that call and you sort of had to go along with it. But now it's like every time you meet a man in a professional setting, you can see the terror on their face yeah. of, like, Oh God, how close is this? Is this off? I just want to be normal, but it's like because of all of this Me Too excess, they feel like being just like natural and normal is now like potentially forbidden. What if I get too cool? What if I offend somebody? And then you have situations like this where it just becomes a full-on kiss. <laughs> so you let's let's talk about some of the the nature of the speech. And obviously there was some um, heckling. And I'm not a big fan of the, of the heckling and the liar and all that. However, I'm also not a big fan of the media. And James Carville, I have a bite from him this afternoon. If you know, heard this. But just pointing out the fact that the Republicans were doing this, forgetting that Nancy Pelosi ripped up the State of the Union. Listen to Carville and his hyperbole here. Well, uh, you know, I told people I have a PhD in white trashology, and you saw real white trash on display. Hmm. And let me say something about Congressman Marjorie Taylor Greene. She dresses like white trash. She really needs a fashion consultant. Could I recommend George Santos? He, he could do a good job of, of dressing up where she doesn't announce her white trash them by her, her own well, clothes. Batya, if, if I said that about Nancy Pelosi or a Democrat on my radio show and sir, I'd probably lose my job. It is so unbelievably disgusting. I mean, let's start with the look. I was asking my gay friends all day today, like, isn't that a slur to be like randomly pick, you know, George Santos just because he's gay and be like, he should give her advice. They were like, you know, slow your roll by. Yeah, like, you know, get off your head. It's not that bad, you know. <laughs> but I thought that was, you know, the casual like homophobia that was kind of gross to me. But also it was so revealing. It was so disgusting. Disgusting, but it was also sort of par for the course. And I thought it was so interesting that he would reveal that elitist disgust 
for working class people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and the people that she represents right after the State of the Union, where President Biden spent the whole State of the Union making a plea to the working class that they should come back to the Democrats, basically by cribbing a lot of Trump's agenda, right? Reshoring manufacturing, social security, fighting fentanyl, all of this stuff, everything except the border, which he can't, Biden can't talk about because, my God, that he imported 2 million people from failed socialist states, right? But, you know, so borrowing Trump's agenda to convince working class Americans, come back to the Democratic Party, we've got your back, we're going to do this stuff too. But then James Carville revealing at the end of the day why working class Americans, by the way, of all races, have abandoned the Democrats because of the disgusting elitism. And at the end of the day, so much of what we call a political divide in America is really about class and about the hatred that educated elites have for the working class. So this was kind of stunning to me today. Uh, And you wrote a book called Bad News, How Woke Media is Undermining Democracy. We would agree wholeheartedly on that. This is Eric Adams, the mayor of New York. There's a hemorrhaging of our Latino community, our AAPI communities that's leaving the traditional Democratic uh, base is because we've allowed the loudest and those who consider themselves to be woke. Some of us never went to sleep. And we hear and speak directly to people. And I think the party is now understanding that we have to speak at those issues that are important. Jobs, public safety, educating our, our children, mm-hmm. good health care, just these common, you know, kitchen table issues that we move away from. And- now, Bachi, let me say this of Eric Adams. Every time he says something like that that I like and he makes sense, then he follows it up with uh-huh. something really stupid. So I'm expecting that in the next 24 <laughs> to 48 hours. But he's not wrong about that. And I wonder if you're going to see a little bit more of that. we got a woke mayor here in St. Louis. So I don't expect it in St. Louis. But that's interesting that he pushed back a little bit that way. That is what you just said is so accurate. And I never noticed it before. But you're so right. Like every time, you know, he says something like that, that makes a lot of sense. And you you know, one tweets it out, like, so probably like, yes, this. The next day he says something and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Because I've regret I've, I've backed him on a couple of things. And then he says something like, I really did. I really back Eric Adams because he right, went the other direction. Right. Uh, <laughs> but I, I did think, and, and I don't know if we've reached peak woke. We got an amazing story that broke here in St. Louis. I've been all over it today on the show from uh, Washington University and their medical school and the Transgender Center and this whistleblower who just exposed all this horrific stuff that's been happening. And and we're getting a lot of attention for that. And, and I'm hoping that this is going to be one of those things that opens people's eyes to some of this gender nonsense that's going on out there. Yeah, I think we're in, we're solidly in the woke lash. It was like, you know, the, the whole great awakening started mostly with race. It peaked in 2020 and then it's been sort of coming down. It's become clear how alien this kind of language around race is to actual minorities in America. So then they switch to like the trans issue, right? There's much fewer trans people to speak up and be like, oh, that's actually not how we think about ourselves. They switched all the energy to the trans issue. But, you know, it just doesn't have the same when they try to cobble the civil rights history with, you know, that we have in this in this country, the struggles to secure black Americans equality like that has real moral purchase. You know, Ann Coulter has been saying this for 20 years. It's like, you know, every time you watch a video of hers from 20 years ago, I'm like, my God, she got there 20 years ago. Like, how is it that I'm like thinking I'm like coming up with these things now? But she was always talking about this, how, you know, all of these other issues like women's issues, you know, gay issues, trans issues, immigrants' rights, all of this Islamophobia, all of this stuff, they try to use the valor 
the real valor of the civil rights struggle for black Americans and superimpose it onto all of these other struggles that like some of them have merit, but they just do not have that same legacy. And so it's not as powerful. And I think people are really starting to see that. I mean, God, Mark, those pictures of, you know, children's arms, you know, when they take off, you know, half of the skin of the arm to create a penis like that. They're just like there are images that you just it's just great that it's coming out. And it's just like, it, you know, normal people look, 64 percent of Americans believe that transgender people should live in dignity and be protected before the law from discrimination. Right. But when you ask them, should transgender uh, women be allowed to play on women's teams? Right. Like Leah Thomas, the number who say yes drops to 19 percent. That's where the median American is at. They want everyone to live in dignity. You do your thing. You're an adult. You make your own choices. But hands off the kids. But you, you would sake. think, but based on the, and you know this again because you wrote, based on the, the most of the mainstream media coverage on that particular topic, you think that you would think and assume the numbers are completely the opposite, that only 19 percent oh, of yeah, people totally. feel like, right? That's, that's totally. the feeling. Yeah, because, of, because Mark, 100 percent of the journalists are in that 19 percent, right? Or not 100 percent. It's 96 percent are liberals, right? And Right. This is all about class. You go to college, you pick this up. I mean, sorry, excuse me. You pick this stuff up. You know, you go to college and you learn how to talk like you learn critical race theory and you learn this whole thing, you know, that, you know, there's no difference between men and women. Uh, Let me. Did you hear the Judy Woodruff cuts today? She sat down with the president. Have you heard any of this? I watched the whole thing. I did. Yes. Okay. so let me play one bite here on 2024 and running. You'd be 82 date of the next election, 86 if you're successful and elected and finish that term. Does it give you any concern? Watch me. (laughs) That's all I can say. I would be completely thoroughly honest with the American people if I thought there was any health problem, anything that would keep me from being able to do the job. And and so uh, we'll we'll see. It sounds like you're running. I've made that decision. That's my intention, I think, but I've made that decision firmly. Now, now, Batya, he says, watch me. Well, some of us did. And congratulations to Chuck Schumer. Another, uh, you know, another term as Senate Minority Leader. Ah, okay. Uh, it, it, it gets uncomfortable. What, what do you think happens yeah. here? We're coming on the, uh, the week after the New York Times runs this story about the vice president basically finally admitting that you know, everything else that we've been talking about for the last two years, most of us, that this is true, that the Democrats are in a bit of a panic mode. How does this stuff sort itself out, you know, leading into 2024? Well, it's so funny because he said, watch me, but then he said he hasn't made up his mind yet. I mean, that to me sounded like the closest he's come to saying he's probably not going to run. I mean, that's sort of how I read that. You know, it's so funny. The New York Times doesn't really exist to tell you things. It exists to tell like leftist in good standing when they're allowed to admit the things that they've been like seeing with their own eyes, but afraid to say out loud. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> that, that's what the, that's the, the role that it serves. So here, when they turn on Kamala Harris, right. Um, when they turn on Biden, you know, they're, they're signaling to leftists. So it's like, okay, we're doing this like in concert. And then the rest of the mainstream media will follow. Cause they're all such cowards. Um, I really think that that I mean, I when he when he said that, I thought, oh, wow, he is actually considering not running. I don't know why I had that reaction, but just like watching his face and his expression. That's kind of how that came across to me. Did you see, you know, let, let's talk about journalism just a little bit as well, because now and there was this Washington Post piece. And I can't remember the guy's name. I think it was from the University of Arizona, basically making the case that we don't need objectivity in journalism anymore. We need agenda journalism. That was pretty much the takeaway from that piece that I had. Any thoughts on that? You know what I'm referring to, correct? 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I write about this a lot in Bad News. Um, you know, there, this, there's been this shift in the leftist press, um, Washington Post, um, a lot of people at the New York Times on the opinion side where they sort of have given up on the idea of objectivity and fairness in the media and instead are prioritizing like what they call, you know, quote unquote, moral clarity, meaning you go into a story having already made up your mind and then you basically badger people who you're interviewing, you know, if they don't agree with you and then your headline is, if they don't agree with you that that person is racist or homophobic or transphobic or what have you, you know, they're replacing the work of journalism, which is to go out and try to be as fair as possible and learn something about the world with, you know, just lecturing people. And it's just so funny because the younger the journalist is, the more likely they are to see the world that way, meaning the less they know about the world, the dumber they are, the less experience they have, the more right they feel they have to lecture their elders. Like it's, it's really hilarious. And it's, again, it comes back to this class divide when you have a college degree or if you don't have a college degree and unfortunately what's really depressing is you know in an america in which there was like upward mobility for the working class and you know everybody had a fair shot at the american dream you could have this cast of college educated people who you know had knowledge industry jobs and made basically the same amount of money as people without it and they could just sit there and have their wrong opinions and 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 it would be fine the problem is is that like thanks to policies started by Democrats, actually, but very much endorsed by Republicans in later years until Donald Trump, um, we, they created an economy that really rewards the college educated who live longer, who are healthier, who are much more likely to be able to uh, buy their own homes and who on average make a million dollars more in their lifetime over the course of their career than people without a college degree. You know, it, they, they're sitting pretty as this elite with all of these like horrible, wrong, dumb opinions that don't reflect what anybody thinks. And meanwhile, if you're working class and you have kind of normal opinions that reflect what like 80 percent of Americans believe, you're downwardly mobile. You don't have a say in politics. Your kids are going to be worse off than you. You're not going to be able to buy a home. So it's, there's something extremely grating about the fact that from this position of extreme economic privilege, they sit there and lecture the people whose lives they've made so much worse. It's unbelievable. It really is. Bacha Angar Sargon, again, the uh, the book that she's referring to is, um, I'm going to remember the entire title here, Bad News, How Woke Media is Undermining Democracy. I have to mention this, though, and I'm guessing this is going to mean you're going to visit me in person because I see at the top of your Twitter, you're writing a new book. It's called Unpromised Land, Searching for the American Dream in the Blue Collar Heartland. You know where I live, Batya? I live in the Blue Collar Heartland. Come visit Missouri. I'm going to come visit Missouri and also any of your listeners who wants to talk to me for my book. My DMs are open. My Twitter handle is at Bunger Sargon. Please write to me. I want to hear your story. You're one of my favorites. You know that. Thank you. You're a tremendous guest. Um, again, what a bookend. Gutfeld and Reardon. It really is special. I know you're going to celebrate tonight, <laughs> Bacha. Thank you so much. It's great to have you. Thanks, Mark. All right, take care. See you. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas... Phoenix, and Rhode Island. 
Jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about. Basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happened. And let's not forget the important stuff, the amount of daylight where I live, the importance of speedies, and the rankings of beach-style pizza. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, audio cut of the day coming up here a little bit later after 5.45. I have, uh, I still have a pretty good collection of audio that I have not released to you, the listeners, this afternoon. And we'll try to squeeze some of that in along with audio cut of the day. Right now, though, Dean Plocker is my guest. He's the Speaker of the Missouri House from De Pere. A lot of activity in Jeff City. I thought we'd catch up here a little bit. I have some questions about the uh, gun legislation, which did not pass yesterday. Dean, how are you, Mr. Speaker, I guess, formally? Oh. Thanks for coming. Mark, on. always. Uh, Dean, please. Uh, great to be on. I appreciate the opportunity to tell you a little bit about what we're doing in Jeff City for the people of Missouri. Let me let me start with this. Uh, and Donna Berenger is on the show tomorrow who had this amendment and she spoke highly of you because you allowed that to come up for a vote um, yesterday. But it's confusing to me. I'm a gun guy, right? I'm, I've been a member. I'm not sure. currently a member of the NRA. Um, I hunt. I own guns. I, I think adults, I believe in the Second Amendment. But I have a little problem with the kids carrying guns. Now, I understand because I hunt in Howard County, so I know, and I hunt with young kids who are able to, you know, shoot guns, and gun safety is very important. So I get the issue of hunting and long rifles, but the 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 issue that we have here in St. Louis is Donna's tried to put in front of folks in Jeff City. You got 14 year olds that are walking down the middle of the street, maybe with AR-15s, and I, I think that children in particular, maybe we should look at this. So what happened? My question is, what happened? What's the issue here? Is there a way to craft legislation that might address the issues that we have? We're going to continue to work on the crime in St. Louis. We took a big step forward this week with passing House Bill 301, sponsored by Representative uh, Lane Roberts from from Jasper County. He's a former uh, chief of police down there in Joplin. That's a great piece of legislation. We believe it will help prosecute crime. It's being left unprosecuted in St. Louis. We believe the people of Missouri deserve far better. But there is an issue of guns, and we will continue to look at how we can do that. But the issue yesterday I found on the floor was that we have to you know, determine, well, I guess, what is most important to you. Yeah, I don't want a 15-year-old, 14-year-old carrying an AR-15 walking uh, by the old post office, say, in downtown St. Louis. But at the same time, I will have to protect the Constitution, and we're going to protect the Second Amendment. So we do have to figure out how that, how that bill would look without taking away anybody's Second Amendment rights. Um, it was clearly articulated that while, sure, St. Louis may not need that AR-15 kid walking around with a gun, how do you how do you legislate that in without taking away somebody's rights in in Washington County? Is there um, a way? Is, is there a way to do? I'm just asking. Can you craft legislation that? Um, and I know this doesn't address the AR-15s that Donna's referring to, but can you craft legislation that would affect handguns and not? long rifles for for kids under 18 for example is that is that something that would be possible i'm not saying that you would do this but in other words can you separate the two in that way or not 
We will look at that. And I think Donna, Representative Berenger, has done a fantastic job of advocating uh, for her belief that St. Louis certainly needs to be, um, you know, better protected uh, by the police and her citizens deserve to be safe, like all citizens in the state of Missouri. We will look at juvenile crime, too. I think if you look at a lot of the crime that has spiked, a lot of it is attributable to uh, to juveniles. And we're going to look at that, uh, the amount of stolen vehicles that are that are occurring. 145 cars, I believe, were stolen last week in the city. Uh, it's astounding. Purportedly, a lot of this crime is being perpetuated by uh, juveniles, those under the age of 18. So we're going to look at juvenile crime as well. And when we do that, I mean, the, the, it's the 14, 15-year-old that's carrying a gun. They're a juvenile. So we can we can maybe look at this as well through enforcement of juvenile law as well. So one one of the stories that jumps out, just a personal anecdote, if you will, where, where I you know, think about this particular issue. I told this story, maybe it was eight months ago. So I come in off of um, 44 each day. I live out in, in Fenton, the Fenton High Ridge area. So I'm coming in on 44. I drive, maybe this isn't the smartest thing to do, but I drive through the Peabody housing complex on 14th street to make my trip in, you know, a little faster. But I, I, Cross Shoto there. If you can imagine where 14th and Shoto, there's this BP station that you'd never really want to go to there and an abandoned, you know, uh, location right across the street. Anyway, I'm sitting there at the stoplight there at Shoto and 14th, Dean, and this kid is coming across the street. He's got a backpack. He, he looks no older than 14, right? And if he was, he was only 15 or 16. And I'm just watching him. He's got a backpack. He pulls out a gun from the backpack. It was a big, big gun, uh, handgun but a big one. And he looks at it, and he just puts it right back in his, um, in his backpack. And then he walks to the bus station. There was a metro station there, you know, bus stop. So I thought to myself, oh, my God. Now, maybe he's protecting himself. I, I don't know. But that just seemed like something that should not be allowed, which is why I'm not saying I, I side in any way, shape, or form against the Second Amendment. But, man, there were, you'd think that there would be some ways to kind of prevent stuff like that from happening if a cop saw that, for example. Well, again, he's a minor. Um, I think we can look at with juvenile crime or how juveniles should be able to to handle themselves in the community. Uh, we will protect the Second Amendment. Um, it is a crime, actually, to be on Metrolink with a firearm. Um, well, there we you go. Okay, that so because, that should be, yeah, that's covered right there. Um, but at the same time, I'll tell you, we've passed legislation that allows you to carry a firearm on Metrolink if you have a concealed carry permit. Um, well, that I understand as well. That I Rampant testimony that individuals that have to take the, the public transportation system are nervous when they're standing, particularly at the bus stop or at the Metrolink stops. And that's where a, an abundance of crime is is occurring. And so we're trying to fix that as well. So so people can can protect themselves. You know, it's a sad state of affairs that St. Louis sees itself in. And I think we need accountability. Um, people have to be held accountable for uh, the offices that they hold, as well as the crimes that are being committed. We need more prosecution. Uh, it's not being prosecuted. The amount of cases that are being prosecuted have, have fallen dramatically. Um, and the people deserve better. I don't care where you live in Missouri. Um, you deserve better. You shouldn't have to live under fear. And I, the crime that is occurring in St. Louis is spilling out into the rest of oh, the no surrounding yeah. suburbs and, and our collar districts. I've heard statistics, uh, I may be a little off here, but 85% of the felonies in Jefferson County are committed by non-Jefferson County residents. 
and I believe it's 70% in St. Charles County. So I don't know where they're all coming from, but they're not from within the counties where the crimes are being committed. Well, coming from the city of St. Louis in many cases, and I know this because I was a victim of crime. My car was stolen. The cops basically told me that. You know, they found the car in the city, and they said this is what's happening. They're smart enough to go out to the counties, and idiots like me who leave our keys in the car, you know, for them. Uh, Dean Plocker is here, Speaker of the Missouri House. Kind of segue, one more thing on the crime issue. The the bill that was being discussed yesterday is also the one, and Dean, correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, that would appoint a special prosecutor here in, in St. Louis? That's correct. We, that is the genesis of this particular bill, really, House Bill 301. It allows, when there's a, a certain measure met of murders per 100,000, in this case it's 35 Uh, per 100,000. It allows the governor to appoint a special prosecutor for a period of up to five years. Um, We believe that that will help facilitate better prosecution of violent crime in the city and hopefully return some order to the city. I don't believe it's going to be the silver bullet, if you will, to to fix everything, Mm -hmm. but it's a step in the right direction. So are you dialed into the the big whistleblower story from WashU today on the uh, trans issue? I have heard about it. I haven't, well, and I read. just started to yeah. read the 23-page or whatever affidavit, but um, we were we were busy working on other issues, yeah. and, and this seems quite disturbing, um, what is being alleged. It's more than quite disturbing. I would read the entire thing because it's horrifying. I'm bringing it up because obviously there's some legislation in state houses across the country dealing with some of these issues, in particular with girls uh, and sports. What can you tell us as an update about legislation working through the House right now? It is, go, it is going through the House. Uh, we've had uh, transgender hearings, uh, protect women's sports hearings in the House. Um, we're working through that uh, to try to make sure that, that we, we don't um, ruin other things and have unintended consequences. But some of the, the testimony was horrifying on how, you know, children, again, are being given hormones that can um, that affect their body forever. And they're children. I mean, we don't allow people to vote until they're 18. You can't drink until you're 21. You can't drive until you're 16. But somehow they're wanting to change their sex when they're three years old or five years, eight. It's it's quite, I, I can't get my head wrapped around it. I find it disturbing. But I want what's best for the kids. And we're going to make sure we pass something as well to protect them further. Um, and, uh, and women in sports as well. I have a 13-year-old daughter. I can't imagine her wanting to, to compete against a, a 13-year-old uh, boy or, or whatever, as I also have a 15-year-old son who's considerably bigger than her yeah. when he was 13. Well, and that's what, you know, I have, a, I have a little girl right now, too, who's about to turn eight, and that's one of the reasons that I'm interested in this particular issue. Anything else you want to point to as far as some of the progress in this session so far? Yes, we're making some good progress. I mean, I'm sure you got your tax bill in, in December for your personal property taxes, your automobile. Um, we we're attacking that, uh, so that doesn't happen again. We're going to put a, uh, a depreciation scale on your automobiles and light trucks so they depreciate down to zero after 15 years. Um, I don't think anyone expects their, their 10-year-old vehicle to go back up to almost what you bought it for because the government, you know, messed with the supply chain and dumped money into the economy. Um, you know, so we're going to work on that. We're going to work on a parent's bill of rights. We definitely want our parents to have more say in what's going on with their children's education. We're going to look to cut taxes further, too, for uh, property taxes, because I think people will be stunned in December if something is not done uh, when their property tax bill comes in, because those property taxes will be based upon a July 30th or July 1st of 2022 um, value. And we're going to uh, look at how foreign countries are, are trying to acquire land in Missouri, in particular China, 
and uh, we're gonna we're gonna try to crack down on that as well. We want to protect Missouri's interests. How about the spy balloon? I was on the air Friday when this is basically you know crossing our listening area. Congressman Wagner called me at the time. How about that story from last week? Wow, befuddling. Um, I, I would like to think that our our federal government knows more than I do um, about what that balloon carried and and why it was allowed to float uh, across our backyard. I, I can't imagine. Um, you know, what, what China would have done if we put a, a balloon over its territory. Um, you know, it, it's it's amazing to me that that thing was even allowed to, to cross into Alaska for that matter. They knew it took off. They were tracking it and and they waited. I don't know. Did it take uh, did it take some news away from other other things that they were trying to cover up? I don't know. But I, I, I would like to, crazy. you know. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Dean Plocker, okay, one more thing before I let you go, just because I'm a thinking man, Dean. You'll find this if you get to know me. You know, I'm always brainstorming and coming up with great ideas. But uh, this one just kind of came to me because I'm sitting here on my iPad and we had this email that just went out from the company. Bear with me here. You'll get this in a second. And someone was promoted within Odyssey here in the building to be promotions director. And as I'm sitting here, all these reply alls are coming in. Has anyone introduced a bill to ban people from replying all on emails? Because let me tell you, as a political win for Dean Plock or anyone else, you'd be a hero, I think. I think you'd really be a hero. So consider that if you would. Yeah, I would, man. That's uh, that would uh, that would drive you nuts if you if everyone hit reply all. Maybe well, that's the answer, though, to putting an end to all of the emails we get. Um, but, you know, I appreciate I'm that. kidding, and, obviously. Uh, no, I am obviously. kidding. But one, one, this is one final serious question. We can make some news. I'm hearing that you might run for lieutenant governor. You want to announce that today by any chance? Just get, get it done with? No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, am, I, I feel very, very fortunate to represent my constituents and, and very, very fortunate to be elected to serve as Speaker of the House for the, for the entire state. I love serving our area. I believe in the state. I believe in St. Louis. Uh, I think we can do better, and I want to help and I'm going to do my best to do that for the next, you know, 18 months. So do you months, have that, months. like, do you, you guys have that written on your wrist or your hand, right? When I ask a question like that, you flip your hand over and you've written all that out on the palm of your hand. And that's what you tell me, right? Well, I'll tell you what, I think all of us down there, it doesn't matter what political party you're affiliated with. We have to believe in a higher purpose. We don't get paid a whole lot. Yeah. We miss a lot of time away from our family. And I think maybe we're a little bit naive or we just believe in democracy. And, and I certainly do. I do enjoy it. It's competitive. Um, it, it, it's a lot of hard work. Um, and you, you fight every day for what you believe in. And it, I don't know, maybe it's addictive or something. I enjoy it. I know my colleagues enjoy it and work hard, too. I enjoy working with, with the likes of Representative Barringer. I enjoy working with my colleagues on the conservative side as we pass conservative legislation. But, um, you know, going forward, if there's an opportunity, I'll always welcome that. And, yeah. and I'll, I'll just do my best. I get it. Thank you, Dean, so much for coming on here. I appreciate it. We, we've had a, a little bit of a struggle, at least I have, having a relationship with, with the past couple of speakers. They have not been from the area. We, uh, As you know, we want to get you on the Reardon Roundtable soon as well. So thank you for the time tonight. I appreciate the interview here, and uh, you all have a good weekend. All right, we'll talk soon. Dean Plocker, who is the Speaker of the Missouri House. I like him a lot. I don't really know him, have never met him in person, I don't think. The problem for Dean is when I like people that are political, and I think that he does have a strong future, and people think he's going to run for lieutenant governor, one of two things usually happens. This is the bad news for Dean. Either they uh, go to federal prison or they have a sex scandal. I'm hoping that doesn't happen to him. Always get 
get to this point of the show, which we're about to do audio cut of the day, and I have, like, so many choices. So I think I'm just going to cheat this afternoon, and we'll um, wind a bunch of stuff into it. Now, the audio cut of the day. You know, I... Usually I do have something that just pops or that I want to focus in on. And some of these, I'm going to be honest with you, Fred put some of this in a little later after the show started. Congressman Jason Smith, we'll have to try to get him on next week. He's a Missouri congressman from the southeast part of the state. He's also the chair of Ways and Means. They have a COVID fraud hearing that went on today. This was the first hearing that we've been able to have. Uh, House Republicans has been asking for it for several years. And thank goodness we were able to turn the lights on on what, what we believe is the great theft of the taxpayer dollars in American history. What we had testify yesterday is, is that there was $191 billion in fraud, but that was at the minimum. They are projecting that it could go as as north as $400 billion. And when, a, when only $878 billion was in this program, you're talking about nearly half. We're going to have to help that, hopefully help that the White House will be a partner in this. We also requested the Department of Justice be part of the hearing. But guess what? They refuse to participate. They're the ones that's supposed to be going after this fraud. They've only been able to return a couple million dollars. So those numbers are staggering. And if we're being honest, and I could go back and even find the audio of when all this stuff was being handed out like candy, many of us in, in the, certainly in the conservative media said, oh, wait till the numbers come up on this with fraud. It's going to be astronomical. And that's exactly what's happening. Jason Smith says you got to protect the taxpayers. It should be our responsibility. But this is $878 billion of unemployment that we're looking in and we think that there could be fraud up to $400 billion. There was over $5 trillion of COVID money spent over the last few years. We have to look at every aspect of where there could be fraud and we have to go after it. That is what's important to the American tax dollars, taxpayers, and and hopefully every member of Congress will want to see the light of day there. Yeah, why would that be a partisan issue? Honest to God, why, why is that a partisan issue? Let's find out where the fraud took place and I don't know. You know, can you maybe prevent it in the future? How about the balloon? The Gang of Eight got a briefing. Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee says, didn't find out a whole lot. We did not get sufficient answers in the briefing. I got the feeling that, you know, they knew this was out there. They followed it for several days. They wouldn't have said anything if it had not been for a citizen who's a pilot who takes a picture, puts it up and says, what's the deal here? And then they did that. Of course, Blinken didn't want to cancel his trip. He ends up canceling his trip. More on that. We'll talk about the balloon. The, it's the one-week anniversary of the balloon tomorrow during the roundtable on 97.1 FM Talk. How about this, too? I'm telling you, there's so much today. And we, we started the show with the Washington University whistleblower, which is mind-blowing. If you haven't followed all that, go to my Twitter site, at Mark Reardon, KFTK. But you had FBI agents former agents Tom Baker and Nicole Parker, who went before this subcommittee on political weaponization of the Justice Department. Uh, Senators Grassley and Ron Johnson, the ranking member of the Senate Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations, had this and listened to Nicole Parker tell her story. The FBI became politically weaponized, starting from the top in Washington and trickling down to the field offices. Although FBI employees have their First Amendment rights, they are not at the liberty to allow their personal political views or preferences to determine their course of action or inaction in any investigation. Lady Justice must remain blind. 
Those that do not uphold these responsibilities cause a negative ripple effect throughout the agency in the field. It's as if there became two FBI's. Americans see this and it is destroying the Bureau's credibility, causing Americans to lose faith in the agency and therefore the hardworking and highly ethical agents who still do the heavy lifting and pursue noble cases. So she talked about why she left. For me, distancing myself from egregious mistakes, immoral behavior, politically charged actions taken by a small but destructive few FBI employees became exhausting. Although I was always treated with the highest level of respect in the Miami division, I no longer felt that I was the type of agent that the FBI valued. I began to lose passion for the career I loved, and peace came as I reflected on the victims I assisted, the criminals I took off the streets, and I remembered positive performance reviews, awards, and accolades I had been given, as I left nothing on the line in my work as a special agent. I held out as long as I could, hoping things would improve, but finally I knew it was time to go. So less than four months ago, of my own volition, I made the difficult decision and quietly walked away from the FBI with an exemplary and spotless record. One of the other people who testified was Tom Baker, retired special agent, was a guest on the show, I believe it was just last week, who wrote a book called The Fall of the FBI, How a Once Great Agency Became a Threat to Democracy. Amazing testimony. Somebody just uh, texted me and said, hey, some of the stuff that went on Capitol Hill today, it's worse than Watergate. And my question back was, which hearing? There are so many. Talk tomorrow, the roundtable at three. Keeps on shining. You can stay home, you can stay right. You can get sand or stay inside the sun. Keeps on shining. Get more at 971talk.com. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places.